You ever seen a ghost? Been abducted? Heard your name whispered from the other room when you're all alone? No, you say? Me either. But if you're like me, you're still fascinated by the paranormal. It seems everyone else has had an experience, and you want to believe it all. So why doesn't it happen to us? What does it all mean? How does it work? Is any of it real? Welcome to Paranorm Girl, a show that will attempt to answer these questions by taking the paranormal completely apart in search of proof. I'm not a blind believer, nor a hardened skeptic. I'm just looking for answers and willing to accept what I find. Welcome back, you crazy kids. Tis I, Kristen, your host, and you are listening to the Paranorm Girl podcast. Are you ready for yet another look into this demonic subject? I hope so. We've got an interesting one ahead. Uh, Famous demons, well-known infernal characters, household spawn names. We'll be touching on some more well-known characters like the Succubi, the Incubi, Krampus, uh, B.E.K. even, before diving into some more specific players. Names you've never heard before. And also, maybe names you have heard and totally think you know who they are, but you would be totally wrong. I was pretty impressed with how quickly this one tried to get away from me because I just kept wanting to add more and more names the more I discovered. I get way too excited about this stuff. Anyway, uh, we will get into it all momentarily. But first, we are going to plug our nearest and dearest sponsor, My Rental Company, out of Pullman, Washington. They are truly lovely, lovely people. I personally know these guys, and they are so easy to work with. They are Pullman's go-to for high-quality rental properties. If you're looking, give them a call, 509-338-4653. My Rental Company, your property is our priority. Okay. We've got a lot of info to digest in this one. It's fun info, but it's a lot. So let's go. To begin, on today's show, we will be taking a close look at some types and subclasses of demons. We'll touch on just a couple of well-known, more modern demons and concepts. And heads up, in the final part of this lesson, we will be saying these entities' actual names out loud. So... If any of that makes you queasy, turn back now. There's still time. And if you have no idea what the heck I'm talking about, it's a thing for some people. Just just trust me. I also want to address something quickly. And it's something Michelle Boulanger speaks a lot more eloquently on in the newest edition of their uh, Dictionary of Demons. But I shall try my best not to stumble through this. While words can have power... And concepts and ideas can have power. There is this strange, lingering kind of archaic belief that just by saying the names of demons out loud holds some kind of power over you, calls them to you, opens the door for them to steal your immortal soul right out your meat suit. Now, Michelle's book contains over 1,500 names. I'm sure... They said more than a couple of them out loud as they wrote it, and during the decades of theological and demonological and historical study that they spent researching this stuff. And Michelle, to date, seems to be doing just fine. I side with them in acknowledging the large amount of fear 
surrounding this issue. But I, too, am choosing to fight fear with knowledge. I speak a lot on this show about how education is power. Michelle says that faith is more powerful than a name. I say education is more powerful than faith. As we will come to learn, demonologists and exorcists actually use the names of demons to compel the entity, to control it, to expel it. How can that be the case if just by the mere mention of a name, it supposedly controls you? Okay, to start out, I came across an actual detailed out list of different species and subsets of demons. I had no idea someone had gone to the trouble, and I had no idea there were different classes of demonic entities. According to Alfonso de Espina, in the very recent year of our Lord, 1467, in the final installment of a five-book-long series titled Fortilitium Fidei, or The Fortress of Faith, he lists out the different demons and what they are all about, so you can be educated and ready to go to battle against them. So, to start out, he lists the fates, which we might recognize from any Greek mythology courses we may have ever taken in our lives. As you might recall, and as he states, their power is altering destiny. I can't say I would have ever pegged the fates as demonic, but... Knowing what I know now about how eager the Catholics may have been at this time to snuff out various mythos and folklores and legends, I, I can't say I'm shocked. Next, we've got a couple that should come as no surprise. Poltergeists, who cause mischief, and incubi and succubi, who stimulate lust or perversion. No real argument for me. Even with the poltergeist, the poltergeist, or noisy ghost, more and more is being accepted as a phenomenon that occurs as a result of people's high emotional or negative states, rather than the actions of a paranormal entity. But with how frightening one of these episodes could be, and if the witness of said episode didn't understand what to make of it, I completely get why this would fall under its own demonic title. Next, we have something called the marching hordes, as well as familiars. Marching hordes bring about war. War is pretty damn demonic, if you ask me. And familiars, who are beings who traditionally assist witches. It personally makes me so uncomfortable linking the concept of demonic with anything witchcraft. I know a fair amount of practitioners, and they are some damn fine people. Familiars being considered demonic is a very archaic belief and should only be considered here for academic purposes, as that is what Espina wrote about. Okay, think we are good to move on from these. The final species is titled Nightmares. These are the demons who will disturb your sleep with bad dreams. The old hag, I believe, is wrapped up in this last one. Sometimes it gets a little difficult to differentiate when they're talking about, you know, just a concept or an actual entity. As I mentioned previously with the different iterations of the term demon, I think it's probably pretty circumstantial in our everyday usage of the term. In this case, is the nightmare itself demonic? 
or is there an actual entity who causes the nightmare in order to disturb your sleep and wear you down and eventually take over your body and take over your soul? I, I don't know. The term nightmare itself is derived from Mara, which is a Scandinavian term referring to an actual spirit sent to torment sleepers. Whatever the case, I'm sure Espina would have lumped any of the other nighttime dwelling type entities into this as well. Though I didn't come to the same conclusion, perhaps people at the time experienced the hooded figure and shadow figures and black dogs as beings within this nightmare demon type. Before we move on, I breezed over a demon type because I wanted to take a much closer look at it. Um, the famed Incubus and the Succubus. I do agree with Espina's list here in categorizing them as in and of themselves, not demons, but types of demons. Super strong, sexually charged, rapey type demons. But maybe not all bad, according to some, or all that one-sided, as it turns out. Ever heard of spectrophilia? Paraphilia? People who want to get it on with a ghostly presence, you're on deck. This class of demon seems to capture the imagination of the populace and garners, I think, the most interest from the most people. So much so that if you were to type into Google how to summon a succubus or incubus, thousands of threads and how-to videos and informational websites would appear on your page. People are specifically trying to learn how to get them some demon sex. And I'm not judging these people. Truly, live and let live and to each their own so it hurts none. Now, I mean, one man's name in particular might be forever associated with the succubus and the summoning of said nighttime spirit. Eric Von Roth is a self-proclaimed master occultist who, about 10 years ago, offered a seven-part course for free detailing out how to summon your very own succubus. He offered this information via his website, summoningsuccubus.com, which, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, it's no longer available. Since these early days, Eric, who it seems is generally agreed to be considered a bit of a clown among the succubus summoning crowd, has given interviews with a few, let's say, less than reputable ragmags where he continues to uphold his claim that he has an ongoing sexual love affair with a succubus named Nilani, which is not a demon name I have come across in the books yet, but maybe it's coming. Anywho, Mr. Von Roth is not alone in his distinct lust for the demonic. Plenty of people all over the world claim to be having these otherworldly relations. Most of the encounters I've come across thus far allude to these folks fully believing to be having sex with ghosts. But it could be argued that these are indeed succubus encounters. In the modern-day concept, a demon isn't the most honest entity. They're probably going to tell you whatever you want to hear, appear however you wish them to appear, and do to you whatever it is that strikes you fancy, right? I think that's the generally agreed-upon concept about them, that they are master liars and manipulators. 
if that is the line of theologically based rationalizing we wish to follow. This rationalizing is by the same people who attempt to scare even the subtly curious away for good by saying things like sexual activity with an incubus or succubus may result in the deterioration of health, an impaired mental state, or even death. That is straight from the Incubus page on Wikipedia. Another online source claimed repeated sexual encounters with either the incubus or succubus would definitely lead to progeria, or Hutchinson-Gilford syndrome, which is a genetic disorder that causes children to age rapidly from birth. These people think sex with demons causes childhood genetic mutations. Someone, for the love of God, make, make this all make sense. Um, I will wrap this section up with a quote from a poster on a thread that was about how to summon a sex demon. Poster Woodwitch was replying to some fear-driving comments, such as the one I just told you, with this. Those who believe their ways are the only ways have horribly incomplete knowledge. Not all demons are evil. Not all angels are good. You would do well to remember that. Interesting. And, I don't know, maybe I'm inclined to agree. It's a concept that I wish to introduce at this early stage. Something to keep in mind. You don't have to buy it or believe it. But it might help us to have a wider perspective if we keep in mind the idea that not all demons are evil and not all angels are good. Remember, nothing is as it seems at first glance. Hmm. That being said, um, I'm also inclined to agree with her next comment. Beings that exist outside our perception of reality have knowledge far greater than our own. Summoning for sex, though? Don't think I'd ever do that. Again, no judgment here for anyone who's into anything that hurts no one else. And this is not to say that if you were to try to summon an incubus, that that is what would happen, because I'm, I'm already disinclined to think a demon is what's a coming. But there's a lot of other weird stuff lurking beyond our perception. I think it's totally within the realm of possibility that if you should try a summoning for yourself, you may indeed get a response. But you are dealing with an unseen world and a literal infinite number of contending suitors. Who knows what's going to come a-knockin'. Now, before we get into specific characters from Christian mythology, let's cover a few demonic beings more well-known to us thanks to our current pop culture. These are not beings I consider demons, at least not if we are following our baseline of having to have existed before time itself or played a part from the early Sumerian or Akkadian legends right up through to the Judeo-Christian idea of a demon that exists today. Kicking this section off with Krampus, the anti-Santa. Krampus is a half-goat, half-demon creature who punishes naughty children on Christmas. He is the yin to Santa's yang. Mostly he beats these children up, whipping them nice and good with sticks and branches. Uh, sometimes he eats the little buggers because that'll teach them. Krampus derives from the term Krampen, which is a German word meaning claw. Germany is in fact where it's thought the legend of Krampus originates. 
According to the legend, he is the son of the Norse god of the underworld. After Christianity started to spread, Krampus began to be associated with Christmas, and it was more or less believed he arrived along with St. Nicholas on December 5th, dispensing with his punishment for the naughties, while Santa dispensed with his treats and presents for all the good little bank account drainers. Next up, um, a quick run-through of modern-day legends that are often conceived to be demonic in nature. Slenderman. I spoke quite a bit about him in episode four. My final take on this legend was that Slenderman is a completely fictional character born of the pages of creepypasta, but as I have come to accept thanks to the power of the human mind, collective consciousness, the existence of the tulpa, the existence of various nightmarish creatures coming at us from the astral and from other dimensions, uh... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Slenderman is in the running as a real entity. Is he a demon, though? Not if we are following our Judeo-Christian baseline. The same can be said of the BEK. I think I'd categorize these more so into the cryptid category, along with vampires, who, especially in a popular TV shows and movies nowadays often go hand in hand with the demonic, as if they were one and the same, or at the very least interchangeable. Anyone else notice that? I have nothing official denying that to be the case. Again, just following our baseline. A quick side note on vampires. In our modern-day psychic and paranormal circles, there are a lot of ideas going around regarding what a vampire actually is. And a lot of people, a lot more than you might expect, claim to be one. The author I mentioned before, Michelle Belanger, identifies as one, saying it's more of an energy exchange for them, that they are literally feeding off another's psychic energy, which is a concept that's a pretty short walk from the widely used term in the wider public sphere of energy vampire. Um, the kind of person who walks into a room and just kind of drains everyone around them, the kind of person you, you generally avoid. But there are very active circles and groups of people identifying as vampires who take on more of that lifestyle, sleeping during the day and taking in part of their nourishment via a human donor's blood. These particular types call themselves sanguinarians, while the energy types are called psyvamps or psychic vampires. All very much so a concept of energy extraction from another human being while they themselves are human beings. Interesting, right? I, I don't know. I had no idea. And I should have, living in New Orleans. Shame on me. The vampire type I mentioned a little earlier in regards to the demonic and the cryptid is, of course, the fantastical Bram Stoker garlic-hating type that I'm sure these modern-day circles probably don't like being compared to. Nor do they appreciate, I'm assuming, being linked to anything remotely demonic. Now, I've saved this next one for last. I'm really excited to talk about it because I think it's intriguing and I've had a personal experience with it. Ever heard of Mama, Momo, Zaza? Surprise! These are all the same entity. And his name is Zozo, the famous Ouija board demon. There are a lot of opinions to be had on the Ouija board itself, spanning a wide spectrum from it's a tool used for evil and power 
empowered only by evil spirits and demons, all the way over to it is literally a harmless piece of wood or plastic sold as a children's toy on the shelves of Target. And shame on you for believing in such nonsense. I ride somewhere in the middle on this. I think it can be absolutely harmless fun and completely safe. And I think it can be much deeper than that, have further reaching implications and cause great relief or great strife in the user's life. I think it all comes down to intention of the user. I first used a Ouija board back at a college party with a group of about five other girls. Um, the spooky stories of Ouija sessions gone awry started flying around. The fear built. My heart was racing. But still I played. And I had, f I had fun. <laughs> and that was that. No entities attached themselves or followed me home. Nothing bad happened to me. And, and my luck was not especially terrible. That first session was like 15 years ago, and, and still all is well. Fast forward to my really starting to reach a next level interest in the paranormal just a few years back. Lee and I had received permission to go investigate this building, which back in the day had actually been a funeral home with a mortuary in the back. We dug out a Ouija board that I had had since college, um, and, you know, thinking that any communication tool we could use for this investigation would be great. It'd be great to have on hand. It was either the night before or, or like a couple nights before that we were just chilling at home and decided, you know what? Leah's never used one of these. It's been years since I have. Let's light some candles and pull the sucker out. See what happens. And that is what we did. And, and the board had a lot to say that night. It was very exciting. We spoke to someone we believed had lived in our apartment previously and, and had since passed on. A woman. And she seemed nice, cordial. When we asked her what her name was, she just said, Mama. While I had heard of Zozo before, I'd never heard of Mama. But an alarm bell was going off, even though everything had been good up to that point. I started asking some more like clarifying questions like, was she a mother? Was it a nickname? Did she just like to look out for other people? And the more I asked, the less sense the answer started to make. The planchette was flying all over the place, spelling out nonsense words. And then the candles started to flicker. So we decided to properly close it with the slide to goodbye. I knew at least that much. A little later, Still feeling weird, um, I consulted Google, Mama plus Ouija board, and I think the first hit that came up was something along the lines of, if you speak to a mama while using the Ouija, close your session immediately. You are talking to Zozo. So, suffice it to say, I was on high alert and, and on edge over the following day or two. But again, aside from the spooky scare of that night, nothing really happened. We went on to use the board during the investigation. Nothing really came of that. Um, you know, all is well still a couple of years later. Now, do I believe I was speaking to a demon residing in my cardboard Ouija board? I guess I can't say with 100% certainty, but I'm leaning toward no. I do not. 
I think it's far more than likely Lee and I were unintentionally moving the planchette with the micro-movements of our nervous fingers and and when between our collective movements we couldn't come up with a good name for the spirit, we did the very common, wide-swerving figure eights that often accompanies the Zozo Mama experience. And voila! But is Zozo a real demon? Unfortunately, not according to any of the materials I'm using for study. The name is in the demon encyclopedia and dictionary lists zero times. Zozo's origin can almost specifically be traced back to 2009 when occult fan Darren Evans recounted some experiences he had had with Zozo on a website called True Ghost Tales. Darren claimed that while he had had many experiences and encounters with spirits via the Ouija board throughout his life, Zozo specifically stuck out to him as he had had too many recurring encounters with said spirit. He said Zozo would always start out as presenting as a nice guy, before ultimately becoming nasty and threatening. He claims that the spirit made threats to his family and even caused an illness in his daughter before he finally accepted he was under demonic attack. And as of the time of this posting, many others have come forward claiming to have had similar experiences with Zozo. Kind of weird. Now, look, uh, right off the bat, one, if, if this spirit always became nasty drunk uncle every single time you spoke to him, wouldn't you, I, I don't know, d- like stop speaking to him? Like as soon as he pops in, you're like, and goodbye. Also... If there is a spirit making all kinds of threats against you and your family, I mean, same thing. Goodbye. Maybe consider another hobby. Sounds like some evil spirits got your number, dude. Darren would go on to start a Zozo-based website for people to talk about their experiences. He would get to co-author a book on the phenomenon with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And he would go give numerous interviews on the subject and also get to appear on the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. I think I saw that episode, actually. Guilty pleasures, I know. Suffice it to say, with no historical record of a demon named Zozo, not just in my books, but anywhere, anywhere else, that it's not been called into question or the mention of the name was clearly from a fictionalized account a lot of folks have called darren's story into question understandably concluding it to be a complete fabrication he has defended his story numerous times in blog posts and interviews citing examples from historical documents again that were found to not be valid or earlier stories again that were fictional But he's holding fast and hard to his story and his experience. And truth be told, if this is truly his experience, and he believes it 100% to be real, well, for him, it absolutely is. And I'm sure the folks who have contributed their own Zozo experiences on his website feel Zozo is 100% real as well and a real threat to those who play and their loved ones. So, at this point, who is to say that because enough people believed Zozo to be real, that he wasn't 
literally believed into existence, like Slenderman, like Hatman, you know, a thought form. And I, I don't want to keep reverting to tulpa when I don't have a better answer. That that's a, that's, It's a cop-out. So I guess my mind is open to any possibility. But until I can see better supporting evidence or personal experiences with this that cannot be explained otherwise, I can't buy into Zozo being a real entity, let alone a demon, at this point because neither my own experience with him nor historical documentation support that. Also, does the Ouija board equal a gateway straight into hell? Is it a portal for evil? Not in my opinion. Not in my experience. As I was discussing with Alex over at Scrimshaw Lane and the Strange Lakes podcast, he posts some really great paranormal educational and historical stuff over on Instagram and also TikTok. Go follow him. Uh, we both seem to be in agreement on our approach to Ouija or Ouija. Uh, we're, we're not so taboo on the Ouija board that we would fear the use of one, but just superstitious enough to be aware of its potential to be more than a board game. As with anything, just use your best judgment and play it safe, I suppose, if that makes sense. All right, for this final section, we're getting into some names. And first up is Lilith. In short, powerful and sensual women throughout history were despised. The end. Just kidding. Lilith is one incredibly fascinating creature whose existence in the texts can be traced all the way back to the Sumerian and Babylonian mythologies. It's been an interesting ride to try and trace out, you know, what all the different religions and mythologies have to say about her. You know, baby thief, queen of demons, rebellious wife, mother of all demons, the first woman. Ugh. She has many titles, none of which seem to shed her in a kind light. She also has many narratives, depending on whose account you wish to believe. So let's take a look. Her name means of the night and has even been translated to mean night monster. Throughout her folklore, she has come to exhibit emotional, intangible aspects of darkness like terror, sensuality, lack of restraint, the mysterious feminine. According to Talmudic legend, the earlier version is that she was a succubus who came to Adam when he was separated from Eve and bore him a whole army of demon babies. In later texts, she was found to be the first wife of Adam and bore him demons, which kind of knocks out the, the modern Christian take that demons are fallen angels. And her existence before Eve was created might actually be supported in Genesis 1.27, where it clearly states, male and female created he them. It'll be like a, a whole other half a chapter before the McEve rib thing happens. In some stories from Jewish and Christian tradition, where she is understood to be the first wife of Adam, she actually rejects him and the Garden of Eden, instead choosing to shack up with Satan, becoming his queen of evil and darkness. She is the most popular and, at one time, most feared female demon in Jewish tradition, and her name and personality are thought to be derived from a class of Mesopotamian demons called Lilu, or Lilitu. In some rabbinic mythologies, 
her demonic brood was actually sired by the archangel Samael and weren't, in fact, the spawn of Adam. The children bore of the Lilith-Samael pairing are often identified as making up the class of demon we know as the incubi and succubi. Most anyone following the Christian faith today will tell you that Lilith does not exist, never existed, mother of demons or nah, and is a myth as her name doesn't appear once in the Bible. But she definitely found her place in history that predates the translations of the Christian Bible and in the predominantly Christian works of the medieval and Renaissance grimoric materials. Hebrew mythology has her as the queen to the king of all demons, Asmodeus, who is up next in part two. That's right. I'm totally going to do you like that. My sincere apologies and my sincere assurance that the second part of this episode will be even better. I'm talking nonstop action. All of the suspense. More of the nonstop action. I really didn't expect this to be a two-parter, but that just means you get to look forward to something fun next week. That's right. No need to wait a whole two weeks. Hooray! And do tune in. We're getting into some really good stuff now. And to prove it to you, here's a little teaser of what you can expect. I'm going to tell you guys a little story I like to call, huh? To wrap Asmodeus up, here are some quickfire facts. Pew, pew! Seems nobody can agree who or what the incubi or succubi are, let alone what a demon is. He was hell's ambassador to France and hides out in the Louvre Museum. That is mighty specific. A for creative effort. He is the demonic version of pin the tail on the donkey. Yes, I did just call demons critters. It was a spur of the moment thing. Satan is like... Oh, my bad, man. I'm forever under your dominion now, buddy. Beelzebub is the fifth prince of hell I will be discussing. Ever heard of him? Every time she tried to take a husband, this jealous demon would come and take the man's life. And big frickin' shocker, Lucifer is up next. There you go. The end. All right, you guys, that is going to be a wrap for us today. Follow the show over on the socials at ParanormGirlPod, including the shiny new TikTok page. Give me a follow there for sure. It's still very, very new, still trying to figure out the damn thing, uh, but I'm, I'm getting there and establishing my rhythm. And uh, please rate and review the show on whichever platform you are listening. I heard Spotify now has a <clears throat> way to do that. No final note today. We will sum it all up at the end of this lesson next week. So see you guys there. Until then, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open.